Good morning, Freedom. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Eric, and I'm the pastor here. And we're grateful for those of you that are joining us here in person and those that are those of you that are joining us online. And today we are going to be continuing our series in the book of Galatians. And we've been in Galatians 5, and we're going to spend this week and next week finishing out chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. And really, Paul wrote chapter 5, and, and, and the emphasis of chapter 5 in Galatians is the fact that the Holy Spirit is essential for us living out our Christian faith. That apart from the Holy Spirit, we have no hope in actually living for Christ. And today we're going to be in a very familiar passage. We're going to be in the passage of Galatians 5 where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it's one of those passages that many of us have probably heard over and over and over again uh, if you've been following Christ for any amount of time. And you've heard about the fruit of the Spirit and you've, you probably could quote the fruit of the Spirit. But here's what happens oftentimes with familiar passages is they can go in one ear and out the other. That because they're familiar to us, we can often miss what Paul is intending to say to us when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. And so today, I want you to listen to this text with fresh ears. I want you to open up your heart and your mind to receive the Word of God uh, with, with freshness. Even though you know this passage, even though you've heard this passage. I want you to, to just listen and absorb what God wants to speak to us through this passage. And this is such an incredibly important text that we're actually going to spend the next two weeks digging into this text. This week we're going to take a big picture look at this at the fruit of the Spirit and what Paul has to say at the end of Galatians 5 beginning in verse 16. And next week, we're going to take a deeper dive into it and discover what it means for you and I to truly walk in the Spirit. So what I'd like for you to do now is just listen to the text, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to discover what Paul is saying here. So I'm just going to read it for you, and uh, I just want you to listen. And listen with those fresh ears. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, 
let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, this passage is incredibly important. It's incredibly important if we desire to grow spiritually. It is incredibly important if we want to live out this freedom that we've been talking about throughout this series, this freedom we have in Christ. This passage is essential for us to grasp and understand if we want to live out that freedom. If we want to become more and more like Jesus, this passage is essential for us to be able to do so. Why? Because the key to our spiritual lives is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who who helps us grow spiritually. It is the Holy Spirit who enables us to live out the freedom we have in Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who makes us and forms us and transforms us into the image of Christ. See, this passage, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit seven times. Why? Because the the Holy Spirit is how we live the Christian life. You and I don't live the Christian life in our own strength. We don't live it in our own power. We live it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who sanctifies us. He is the one who leads us. He is the one who empowers us. It is through the Holy Spirit power that we follow Christ and that we bear his fruit. So let's look back at verse 16 and 18. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Hear what Paul is doing. He gives us two ways for you and I to live. Every single one of us, whether you're a believer in Christ or you're not a believer in Christ, there are only two ways that you and I can live. We can live by the desires of our flesh, or we can live by walking by the Spirit. And if you're not a follower of Christ, you only have one option, and that is living by the desires of your flesh. So what is Paul talking about? What, are, what is the flesh and what is the spirit? The flesh is our fallen condition. The flesh is who we are by human nature. It is just how we are born. We are born with it, and the flesh is not our skin. Remember, we talked about this last week. The flesh is our fallen nature. The spirit is God's spirit who indwells us. As followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within us. He indwells us. And he's given to us when we receive our new nature, when we, when we become Christians. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So let, let me simplify this. Here, here's a way that, to remember that. The flesh is who we are by natural birth. And the Spirit is who we become by new birth. So the flesh is who we are by natural birth. And the Spirit is who we become by new birth. So flesh and spirit, what Paul says here, is that they are opposed to each other. They're in opposition to each other. There is a battle raging within the heart of every single Christian. Every single follower of Christ, there's this battle between the Holy Spirit and our flesh. But here's what we need to understand, church, that our flesh is not 
our friend. Our flesh is not our friend. It is in opposition to the Spirit of God dwelling within us. But Paul has told us, and, 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 and we have seen in Scripture, that our flesh has been crucified. Yet, it is not entirely gone. And that is why that battle rages on in our hearts. And, 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 and that is why we struggle sometimes in our Christian life. Paul says, even though the, 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 the flesh has been crucified, he tells us in Colossians that we're to put to death the flesh. That we're to put to death the, 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 that natural part of us and then walk by the Spirit. And here's what happens. As you and I learn to walk by the Spirit, the flesh becomes increasingly subdued. As we walk by the Spirit, as we learn how and discover how and surrender to walking in the Spirit, our flesh is subdued. But the opposite is also true. If you and I walk by the desires of our flesh, by our human nature, then guess what? The Spirit of God is going to be is going to be squelched within us. That's why there's two different ways we can live. We can live by the Spirit, by walking by the Spirit, or we can live by the desires of our flesh. So what does Paul mean when he says to walk by the Spirit? As he talks about walking by the Spirit, he, he's, what he's talking about is yielding to, surrendering to the Holy Spirit every moment of every day. That's how we live by the Spirit. That's how we walk by the Spirit. We surrender to the Spirit. We surrender to the Spirit at home. We just surrender to the Spirit at work. We surrender to the Spirit at school. At everywhere, in all ways, in every moment, we are surrendering, yielding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That Greek word that Paul uses to walk is peripateo. Peripateo means to follow or to be occupied with. It means to be occupied with. In other words, what it's saying is that we are living in such a state that we are occupied, that we are consumed by the Spirit. That's what it means to walk. So if we are walking by the flesh, what is that saying? It means that we are occupied with our sinful desires. But if we're walking by the Spirit, then we are occupied by the Spirit. That's what Paul means when he says to walk. And so for a Christian, for us that follow Christ, it means to walk in the Spirit or to be led by the Spirit means that we are so occupied by God's Spirit that we, are, that we make following Him a way of life. We are so consumed, so occupied by the Spirit of God that following Him is just the way that we live. It's just a way of life. And here's what's amazing in this passage that Paul tells us. That if we constantly yield to the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. Look what he says in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. That is a promise right here in Scripture, that if we walk by the Spirit, if we yield to the Spirit, that, that our flesh will be subdued, that we will not give in. 
Doesn't mean we won't sin. Doesn't mean we won't be tempted. Doesn't mean we won't we won't struggle. It just means that it will not consume us. It will that our flesh, our sinful nature, will not have dominion over us. And that occurs when we yield to the Spirit. So what this shows me is that there's no neutral ground. Like you are either submitting to the Spirit or you're submitting to the flesh. You're either walking by the Spirit or you're living by the desires of your sinful nature. Like there's no middle ground. But if we submit to the Spirit, Paul says we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. But it also tells me that as followers of Christ, we need to know the difference. Like we need to be able to recognize in our own lives whether or not we're walking by the flesh or we're walking by the Spirit, right? Like we need to be able to tell. The good news is it's not difficult. It's not hard. In fact, Paul says this in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to discover and to know what the works of the flesh are. They're obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Whew, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Paul says, listen, it is obvious if you're walking by the, by the flesh. Why is it obvious? It's obvious because all of those things come naturally to us. Like we don't have to, to come up with ways to sin. It just naturally flows from each and every one of us. In fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 that the, the works of the flesh are actually the result of a heart problem. Here's what he says in Mark 7. Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within. So here's the reality. That every single one of us, every single one of us, if we give in to our natural inclinations, if we give in to who we are by our natural birth, out of us will flow those evil things. Why? Because we're sinful. Because our hearts are driven naturally away from God, which is why... We must have the Holy Spirit in our lives leading and directing us so that we're walking by the Spirit in order to live out the, 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 what God has called us to. So, I want to talk about these things that Paul mentions. Because he breaks them down into four categories. There's sexual sin, there's relational conflict, there's religious sins, and there's personal sins. Let's talk about each one of them. But here's what I want you to know as we talk about them. I want you to keep in mind that this is not an exhaustive list, right? Paul lists other sins in other places. Jesus lists sins in Mark 7. I mean, these are not an exhaustive list. I don't think Paul intended us to look at this and say, 
okay, well, these are all the areas that we can send. I think what he wanted us to do was say, okay, these are categories. These are areas within each and every one of our lives that we have a propensity to sin, propensity to drift away from God. And so Paul is not wanting us to read these as an exhaustive list, like saying, okay, this is everything, because he even says, and things like these, if, if I didn't cover your sin, Paul just goes, and things like this. Like if your struggle isn't mentioned here, I just want you to know that it's things like this are also considered works of the flesh. So he makes it very clear that these are simply examples. So what is he doing? He's painting a picture of four major categories, four major areas in which a sinful lifestyle flows out of human beings. That's really what Paul is doing. And the first one, he says, are sexual sins. The first three he lists have to do with sexual sin. These things include uncontrolled lust, adultery, promiscuity, homosexuality, prostitution, pornography. All of that is included in this list that Paul mentions. In other words, what he is saying is that any sex outside of the covenant of marriage, any sex outside of the way God intended it between a man and a woman is, is the result of the works of our flesh. Why is sexual sin such an issue? It's such an issue to Paul and to God is because it affects others, not just the one sinning. Sexual sin is an open display of self-centeredness. Sexual sin, you're saying, you know what? It's all about me, my desires, my lusts, my passions. Not only that, it dishonors those that are made in the image of God. God intended for us to have sexual relationships in the context of a healthy, godly marriage. And when we engage in sex outside of that, what is it saying? It is a disregard for those that are made in the image of God. But not only, not only is that, it violates God's plan for marriage. And ultimately, it grieves the Holy Spirit. So the first three Paul lists have to do with sexual sin. The second, the next two deal with corrupted religion. Look what he says, idolatry and sorcery. What is he talking about? This is including anything or any person that we put in, in our lives that is before God. He's talking about anything that we love more than we love God. Yes, that, can, that includes sorcery like he talks about, and that, that occult involvement. It includes false religions. It includes superstition. It includes new age spirituality. It even includes idolatrous materialism. If we're putting things, things that we can go by before our relationship with God, that's what Paul's talking about here. But it also includes distorted theology, things like prosperity theology, thinking that if we can just name it, then God will have to give it to us. Or it includes legalism, which Paul has been talking about throughout this, this book, or license, which we talked about last week, which means, you know what, I can do whatever I want to, I can sin however I want to, all because Christ has forgiven me. So that's what Paul is saying. So it really boils down to anything we put before God is a corrupted religion. 
And Paul says that, that this is a part, this is an act, a work of our sinful nature. Then the next date, we're not going to go through each one, but they describe relational conflicts. The next eight Paul mentions were describe relational conflict. In other words, anything that breaks down the relationships that you and I have, relationships in our family, relationships with our friends, relationships within the church, relationships within our community, where we work, anything that breaks down those relationships such as slander, gossip, harboring grudges, uh, Uh, bitterness, seeking revenge, unforgiveness, abuse, physical or verbal abuse. All of those things break down relationships. And Paul says that if if you are doing anything in your life that is breaking down relationships, it is an act of your flesh. Then the final two refer to personal sins. These are self-destructive behavior that you and I have a propensity to engage in. Things like drunkenness, drug abuse, alcoholism, drug addiction, self-harm, cutting, things like that. But it also means things like gluttony and things like being a workaholic. Those are all things that that are a result of our sinful nature. Those are all works of the flesh. Now remember... Paul is saying these are just examples. There's many others that we could come up with. These are just examples of ways that our flesh naturally works if we're not yielded to the Holy Spirit. But then at the end of this, Paul gives a dire warning. He says those who engage in these activities, those who engage in the acts of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul's not talking about the Christian who wrestles with sin. Because I don't know about you, but we all wrestle with sin. Every single one of us wrestle with sin. Every single one of us are tempted. And every single one of us occasionally give in to sin. So Paul is not talking about the Christian who wrestles with sin. He's not talking about the Christian who has slipped in one of these areas. He's not talking about the Christian who's even fallen and repented from these sins. Who he's talking about is the person who goes unrepented with these sins. It's the person who refuses to repent. It's the person who habitually practices these things. It's the person who delights in these things, pursues these things. Their lifestyle is defined by these things. What Paul is saying is that if you are not repented, and if you have not come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when it comes to those of us who are Christ's followers, ultimately what Paul is saying is that if you and I walk by the Spirit, our lives will not be characterized by the works of the flesh. Rather, our lives will be marked, as we're going to see in just a moment, by the fruit of the Spirit. We will exhibit Christ-like character. So let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. Beginning in verse 22. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The key to understanding is what Paul, what Paul is saying is, the, is understanding the metaphor that Paul is using. Paul says that these things are the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, not plural. These are one whole comprehensive fruit of the Spirit. They're not fruits, plural, they're fruit. And Paul intentionally uses that in order to help us understand what he's saying. Because a fruit is a natural byproduct of life. Fruit is a natural byproduct of life. If a tree is alive, guess what? It will bear fruit. Several years ago when we were living in Florida, we had a mango tree in our backyard. And that mango tree produced a ton of fruit. And it was amazing. Until Hurricane Irma came through and knocked that mango tree down. So we did everything we could to salvage it. We got, we got tractors, put it back in the ground, tried to mend it the best that we could. But we could not tell it was alive and it was surviving until when? The next season that it was to produce fruit. We knew that the tree had made it if it produced fruit. And we knew that the tree was dead inside if it did not produce fruit. Thankfully, it produced fruit. It survived. But that's the only way we could tell if the tree had survived, if it produced fruit. Why? Because a tree that is alive will produce fruit. A tree that bears fruit is simply being and doing what a tree is and does when it's alive. That's the metaphor that Paul is using. He is saying that these qualities are things that God will produce in us simply because His Spirit is alive within us. And these are fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. Why? Because collectively, they make up Christ's likeness. Collectively, they make up Christ's Likeness. The fruit is who is what Christ embodied. These, are, these fruit are a picture or a character sketch of Jesus himself. And so Paul is saying that this fruit that we exhibit is collectively what it means to be like Christ. In other words, as we abide in Christ, and as we walk in the Spirit, all of these fruit will be evident in our lives. It's not like we can say, you know what, God, I like goodness. I'll take that one. Faithfulness, that's a pretty decent one. But you can keep patience. Self-control, you can keep that one. This, this second row doesn't like that one. But like, we don't get that option, do we? That's why Paul says these are fruit of the Spirit. It's all collective. It's not like you can pick and choose which fruits 
you want. You have one fruit, and it is the fruit of the Spirit. And as the Spirit dwells within us, and as we walk and yield to the Spirit, guess what? God then produces that fruit in our lives. That's what, that's what Paul is saying. And so the more you and I are filled with the Spirit, the more you and I walk in the Spirit, the more that the Spirit will will bear this fruit within us, and we will become more and more like Jesus. That's why the Holy Spirit is so crucial to us living out the Christian life. Now, before we look at the actual fruit, I need to, I need to, we need to talk about the goal. Goal is not for us to, to go and work up these fruit in our own strength. That's not the goal. It's not the, the goal is not, well, you know what? I need to work on patience or joy or self-control or, or you name it. It's not that we go and work those up through behavior modification. And the reason it's not because it won't work. You ever just told yourself, you know what? I just need to be, have more self-control. It never works well. Or I just need more patience. Every time I tell myself I need more patience, some idiot pulls out in front of me on Washington Road. Every time. I don't have the, I don't have the ability to have more patience. I don't have the ability to have self-control. That is why I desperately need the Holy Spirit. And guess what? You don't have the ability either. None of us do. None of us do. That is why we desperately need God to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us and through us as we yield and surrender to Him. So, to help us understand and remember these nine fruit of the Spirit, because I do believe this is actually a list where the works of the flesh, Paul says, listen, all these other things, you can, you know, many other things. The fruit of the Spirit was an intentional list that Paul laid out for us because they're evidence of us becoming more like Jesus. And in order for us to remember these nine fruit of the Spirit, I want to categorize them into three categories. I want us to think about them in, the, in this sense. Love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace is primarily in the direction of God. Our first love is a love for God. Our chief joy is joy and delight in God. And our deepest peace is peace with God. So the primary direction of love, joy, and peace, now that doesn't mean we don't have love, joy, and peace towards others. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the primary direction of that is our relationship and direction toward God. Patience, kindness, goodness, the second grouping of three, is the primary direction is outward towards others. So love, joy, and peace, the primary direction toward God. Patience, kindness, goodness, the primary direction toward others. Think about it. Patience, that is your ability to face trouble without losing it. That's your ability to go to the grocery store and have someone get in the 15-item the lane with 16 items and not go in all postal on them. That's what that means. That's patience. Kindness. 
That is a disposition to serve and care for others. Goodness. That is when we do good and right for the benefit of others. So patience, kindness, goodness is in the direction of others. And then faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the primary direction is inward. It's inward. Think about it. Faithfulness, that is your integrity. That is when your word is reliable and true. Gentleness, that is humility, not being self-absorbed. You're a gentle person. Self-control, that is when we have mastery over our passions and our desires. So, love, joy, peace is toward God. Patience, kindness, goodness towards others. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is inward. Kind of reminds me of what Jesus said to us in the greatest commandment, doesn't it? That we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. It all keeps coming back to loving God and loving others, doesn't it? Even the fruit of the Spirit. We, it, it's, it's about our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and our relationship within ourselves. So, all this talk about the, Holy Spirit, about the fruit of the Spirit brings up a natural question. How? How, how does the fruit of the Spirit take root in our lives? How do we actually go and walk by the Spirit? How do we consistently live the Christian life? How do we keep the flesh from getting a foothold in our lives? Well, let's look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I think there's two things that Paul shows us here in this text on how, we, how the fruit of the Spirit grows in our lives. I think the first thing he shows us is that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves constantly of who we are in Christ. We need to remind ourselves, look what he says in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. That should be a reminder every single day. You should wake up and say, you know what? I belong to Christ Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, I belong to Christ. I have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I have been adopted into God's family. My justification before God is not based upon my work. It is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We need to preach that to ourselves every single day. We need to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. And the reason we need to do that is because, because of the fact that we belong to Christ, our old nature has been crucified with him. That's what Paul says. <clears throat> Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Our old nature has been crucified with him. We've been given a new nature in Christ, Paul said in Galatians 2, 
earlier as we studied, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Think about that. Paul says this life we live, we don't live it on our own. We live it in Christ. That's why it's so important to preach the gospel to ourselves. The moment you became a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. He came to dwell in you. He exchanged your sin for Christ's righteousness. And he sealed that with the promise of our redemption. And we need to understand who we are in Christ. Because if we don't, we will get wrapped up and, 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 and we will lose sight of the power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit. See, here's the reality, church. Christ has won the battle. He's won the victory, rather. But there's still daily battles that you and I face. Sometimes we're going we're gonna to overcome those battles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're going to give in to our flesh, which is why we constantly have to be reminding ourselves of who we are in Jesus. We need to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. We need to do what Jesus told us to do. To take up our cross and follow him. Deny ourselves. Take up our cross and follow him. Which leads to the second thing I think Paul shares with us here. And that is this. Not only do we preach the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. Look at verse 25. He says, if we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the second thing we need to do is we need to keep in step with the Spirit. How do we do that? Keeping in, the, keeping in step with the Spirit requires discipline. It requires surrender. We have to daily surrender to the Holy Spirit. We have to crucify our flesh, as Paul says in, in verse 24. We, and, and, and we do that by saying no to sin. These are ways we keep in step with the Spirit. Surrender, saying no to sin, pursuing His will, His desires, His calling, being dependent upon His strength and not our own. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? What are some of those things that God uses to help us keep in step with the Spirit? One of the main things he uses is his word. Getting into his word on a daily basis, on a regular basis, helps us keep in step with the Spirit. Why? Because here in his word, we understand what his will is. We understand what his desires for us are. We understand who he is and why we should follow him. So we need to read God's word. We need to study God's word. We need to know God's word. Also, we need to practice spiritual disciplines like prayer, like fellowship with one another, gathering for worship. All of these things help us stay in step with the Spirit. You can even get into fasting. Make sure that we're constantly practicing repentance. These are ways that you and I stay in step with the Spirit. 
I know in my own life, if there are times when I neglect reading God's Word, if there are times when I, when I neglect my prayer life, I can tell that I'm no longer in step with the Spirit. I can immediately know that, man, I have drifted away from being in step with the Spirit. But when I do read God's Word, when I am praying faithfully, then I can tell that I'm, I am on the path with the Spirit, that I am keeping in step with the Spirit. And see, once we understand how the Holy Spirit works and that holiness is produced through spiritual habits, that, that we stay in step with the Spirit by practicing spiritual habits, then we have all that we need in order to keep in step with Him. We just have to practice those spiritual habits. And as we do, as we walk with Him, as we keep in step with Him, then what is going to happen? God's fruit will begin to be evident within us. His fruit will be produced within us. And the result is that you and I will become more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's what the goal of the fruit of the Spirit is. That we would become more like Jesus. That we would love like Jesus. We'd have joy like Jesus. We'd have peace like Jesus. We'd have patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control like Jesus. Let me conclude with this thought. We need to keep in mind that what we water and what we feed is what will grow in our lives. If we feed our flesh, that's going to grow and dominate our lives. If we feed the Spirit, if we yield to the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And it's going to be either way. It's either going to be the flesh or the Spirit. And we need to keep in mind that the flesh is not our friend. We are called to put to death our flesh. And we are called to walk by the Spirit. Put to death our flesh and walk by the Spirit. And God produces His fruit in us. It's not something that we work up ourselves. It's not something that we can grow ourselves. It is only God who can grow God's fruit. Only God can grow His fruit in our lives. So what is our role? Our role is surrender. Our role is to yield to Him. Our role is to say no to sin. Our role is to take up our cross and follow Him. And as we do, God's fruit will begin to grow in us. And it will be lived out through us as we become more and more like Jesus. Father, we know that the Holy Spirit is key to us living the Christian life. That in our own strength, in our own power, Father, we have no ability to live out our faith. It is only through the power of your Holy Spirit that your fruit is produced in us. And so, Father, I pray that as a result of this passage, Lord, you would help us to surrender. Surrender to you completely and totally. Yield to you on a daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis, Father, that we would 
be so in tune and in step with your spirit that we would be saying no to sin and yes to your spirit. Father, help us to keep short accounts with you because we know that we're going to sin. We're going to fall. We're going to slip. But Lord, as we keep close accounts with you and as we repent and turn to you, Father, you restore us. And so, Father, strengthen us. Help us to walk by your Spirit and not by the desires of our flesh. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To learn more about freedom, join us at freedombiblechurch.net.